0: All right, good morning. Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. As we continue our series, The End is Only the Beginning. And let's begin by looking at our verses together, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God? Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? I don't know about you, but as I grow older, I rely more and more on reminders And, you know, the actual uh, method of reminding someone has truly evolved over the years, hasn't it? For example, you know, I remember when people used to tie string onto their finger to remember something. They would tie a string to their one finger, and then they would tie a string to their second finger, reminding them that the first finger uh, is something to remind them, and then, of course, they're reminded by the string on the second. I remember especially in school, when people needed to remember things, they wrote them on their hands. Do you remember that? We, you know, I, I had it all over, you know, on both sides of my hands. You know, my mom and dad would say, you know, they have invented this thing called paper. Uh, but I used to write them all over my hands. And then in the 1970s, this revolutionary invention was created called the Post-it Note. And it became the ideal reminder for people and of course that evolved later into the computer and today we have now apps on our phones but what i found remarkable about uh, remarkable about this fifth verse is that throughout the new testament there are various places uh, that we find that the writers are writing to their recipients once again to remind them of something now let us understand how people learned in that culture They learned in that culture culture, through oral tradition. People spoke and people learned through uh, the speaking. Notes were not taken because parchment was very expensive. They had to find objects to write with and to write upon. So they really were, by necessity, required to remember what that person taught verbally to them. And as you can imagine, the length of some of these letters, think of the contents of 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians, two of the longest New Testament books. You know, there's a lot to be considered within those books. So I don't find it surprising that Paul would write uh, in uh, reference to the things that he taught them you know, after the fact, he would spend time with them, he would teach them, he would leave them, and then he would write a letter to them for one reason or another, and within that letter, once again, remind them of what they already knew, but just needed to draw to the forefront of their mind. And notice what he says here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, do you not remember meaning that everything that he is covering within this letter is something that he has already discussed with them. And like I said, many of us use various things to remind us of one thing or another, but also we can discover and remember things in the most unusual ways. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. He says, do you not remember that when I was with you, still with you, I told you these things. Scholars believe that Paul was with the Thessalonican church anywhere between three and six weeks. Now I find that very interesting. I find that interesting because in that short duration of time, Paul felt it necessary to tell them about eschatology, the study of the last days. He felt it was that important. He felt that it was necessary to bring that subject in a Christianity 101 class because he wanted his recipients to know and those who are listening and newly saved in the Lord to know that one day the Lord is physically going to return to this earth. So these things should have been known by them, but what had happened is that they were stirred up and they were shaken due to either a letter or a spoken word That indicated to them, as we see in our text, that they had missed the rapture of the church, that they had missed the uh, removal of the church, and now they were experiencing the great day of the Lord, that great period of judgment. I don't think reminding becomes any more of an art than when you become a parent. I find myself doing a lot of reminding as a parent. And I remember now, clearly, that my parents did a lot of reminding as they raised myself and my sister. In fact, one of the most unique ways that my father reminded me of something was that on Friday afternoon, he once told me during the summer, now listen, tomorrow's Saturday and the grass needs to be cut before it rains. Do you remember that? That was my dad's one of my dad's favorite lines. Because it was always going to rain right after he wanted the grass cut, you know. So he would always emphasize, it's going to rain, so we need to get the grass cut. So that night I went out with my friends and I got home really late. And as I went to bed and woke up the next morning, I did not wake up to the singing of birds, the sunshine through my window, the breeze blowing through my drapes, No, I woke up at 6.30 in the morning with my dad starting the lawnmower and placing it next to my window right outside my window so I would be reminded to cut the grass because you know why? It was going to rain later that day. You know, we have very unique ways of being reminded. You know, sometimes we can be reminded simply by our senses, can't we? Did you ever walk somewhere and all of a sudden you smell something and you're like, oh boy, that brings... Memories back, either good or bad, you know. you know, Or you hear that song, you know, somewhere. And you're like, oh, I remember when that song first came out. Then you realize you're standing in an elevator and how old you actually really are. You can be reminded by many different things. See, the Thessalonians knew what Paul had taught. But it kind of drifted to the back of their mind. It wasn't on the forefront of their mind. It was on the back burner. But these situations absolutely stirred their attention because they were now in a moment of crisis, they thought they were in the day of the Lord, and Paul wanted to remind them, no, 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 you're not in the day of the Lord because these things have to happen first. That word that he uses means to recall information from memory, but without necessarily the implication that that person has actually forgotten it but he just simply needs to remember it once again. It's up there somewhere. But unfortunately, it was, drawn, it was missed when it was needed the most. It should have been drawn out to comfort them in their time of trouble, saying, no, remember what Paul said, this can't be the day of the Lord because these things have not happened, but yet they were emotionally stirred and they lost their objectivity. But throughout the New Testament, I found that phrases like this were used continuously. There's a plethora of examples for us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4.17. He says, remember the example that I personally gave you. In 1 Corinthians 15, later on in that letter, he says, please remember the gospel in which I departed to you. To Timothy, in his last letter he ever wrote, he said that in 2 Timothy 1, 6-7, he says, Timothy, remember the gift that God has given you and to uh, allow that gift to be uh, renewed in you. As he says, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God that is within you. But then Paul later reminds him also, let me remind you, Timothy, not to argue about n- needless things with those who simply want to argue. To Titus, he says, let us understand and remember our relationship and how God would have us interact with the authorities on this earth. But I think Peter's entire letter, his last letter before being martyred for the Lord, states it beautifully. Let me read it for you. He says in 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15, he says, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. As our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear to me, and I will make every effort so that in, after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. He wanted us, they wanted us, to remember what they had said. And when we come finally to the book of Jude, in Jude verse 5, Israel, the church, had once again re- lost track of one of the most Uh, necessary components of their understanding of their current culture and that's their history jude writes to his readers and he says now i want to remind you although you once fully knew it that jesus who saved a people out of the land of egypt afterwards destroyed those who do not believe Today in many churches, the study of eschatology is one that is not engaged in. I have had pastors personally tell me that the reason they don't engage in this this study with their congregation is that they believe that the events of Revelation specifically are unknowable, or they're confused by the various by the various opinions and interpretations of the events of the last time, that they don't approach it with their congregation because they themselves are not personally sold on any one interpretation. Some have told me, just frankly, that they believe that the study of eschatology is non-essential. It's a non-essential doctrine, they will say and state, and therefore they will not engage in the study of it. But I find both of those positions um, inaccurate. We know that that Jesus made it abundantly clear that the Spirit who resides within us will lead us into all truth. And that the Scriptures are knowable for those who read and study them. And they are not kept from anyone. Anyone can read and understand. When it comes to the essential nature of eschatology, I ask the question then, why is it that every epistle written has some eschatology within it? If it wasn't an important doctrine to be emphasized within the church and to a congregation, then why do we have reference to the return of Jesus Christ over and over and over and over and over over again? Why would Paul feel that it's necessary that in a three to six week period of time that eschatology be one of the subjects that they cover with those new believers? No, I believe that God wants us to wrestle through with the prophetic fulfillments of eschatology. There were 333 prophecies concerning Jesus' first coming. And when the religious leaders of Israel did not recognize him to be their Messiah, he held them accountable for that in Matthew 16. He said, how is it that you can discern the weather due to it being red at night or red in the morning, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? If he held his people accountable for 333 prophecies, then how much more is he going to hold you and I accountable to know of his return? Now, I am not saying that we know the day or the hour. We don't know that. We don't know that. But next week, I'm going to demonstrate that the children of Israel did know the day and the hour of his first coming. And we're going to highlight the great mistake of Israel next week. That being said... Today, there are over 600 prophecies all pointing to the return of Jesus Christ. The writers of the New Testament lived in great anticipation of his return. Then we should even more so because we are 2,000 years closer to the return of Jesus than we have ever been before. When Paul was among them, notice what he says in verse 5. He says, I was with you, I told you these things personally, myself, in the apostolic authority that God has given me to do so. I'm stirring these things up. And you should have remembered these things. It wasn't that Paul was relying on secondhand information. Paul was clear to state to them, I told you these things. This wasn't something of a tradition. It wasn't something of an aberrant theology that came about afterwards in some unknown manner. The theology concerning the last day events came directly through the apostles' teaching themselves. And therefore, we should take it very seriously ourselves. I believe that the United States of America is making the same mistake Israel did. And as a result we have the confusion in our culture that we have today. And I'm going to explain why in just a moment. But many have said to me, when they feel dry or drained in their Christian walk or their rela- within their relationship with God, I often ask, are you reading and praying each and every day? Spending time personally and privately with the Lord through prayer and through the Word of God. And often they tell me, no, I I, I was, but then I kind of got off that for a little while and I've been struggling and I need to get back on. But, you know, I've read the Bible, I've, I've read the different books, so I kind of know what it says. So do I really need to read it again? I find the Bible to be like an artichoke. Now, I bring up an artichoke because I was at a 4th of July party where I saw this six-year-old girl boil an artichoke and then take it out after she boiled it for I don't know how many minutes. And she put it on a plate. Now this thing was like this big. And she put it on a plate and she said, oh, I can't wait. This is the best snack ever. And I'm just like, what kind of kid are you? You know. And so we're sitting outside and, and I'm watching her tackle. I mean, the artichoke was the size of her head you know. And she's eating this artichoke. And, you know, and first of all, you know, I always wonder who the first person uh, is who would eat certain things. You know, who went through the garden and said, hey, that thing looks interesting. Let's eat it, you know. Um, I guess you kind of wonder about those people. And how many of those people didn't survive? <laughs> um, but that being said, she's sitting down and with her plate, and she's peeling this artichoke back, and she's peeling, the I guess you would call them the leaves of the artichoke. And then she would literally eat the end of each leaf. It was about a half an inch. And I'm like, and then she'd throw the rest of it away. And she just kept going and she's peeling it back and peeling it back and peeling it back and peeling it back. And she goes, I can't wait to get to the heart. And I'm like, oh gosh, this is going to get weird. And <laughs> she's peeling it back and peeling it back and she's taking a little bite over every leaf. And you know... <laughs> And then she finally got to the heart, and it was all about this big, you know, within it and such. And I never saw that before. I've never seen a kid like that before. Uh, But she was enjoying herself. She loved it. See, the Bible is a lot like that artichoke. Sometimes you have to keep reading it and peeling it back to finally get to the heart of the matter. And I really believe that. I've studied the Bible now over uh, the course of 33 years I've studied under some of the best pastors I believe our nation has ever known, either in person or distance, um, you know, distance learning. Uh, but there's always more to be found. There's always another layer to peel back. And so often we just want to read and pick up the gold nuggets that are just laying there aimlessly on the ground saying, oh, pick me up, but sometimes you got to Dig to get to those real strikes of gold. Sometimes you have to look a little deeper. Sometimes you have to have a filing system in your mind where you come across a passage of Scripture that doesn't necessarily make sense to you, so you put it on a mental note card within your mind and just keep it there. And then over the years, see how God will contribute to that note card by showing you more and more and more about that subject matter or about those verses. We can never be reminded too often of the basics. As I was studying guitar, the guitar teacher that I had, I was blessed to have. And I asked him because he was just a master at at playing. He just an incredible teacher, an incredible guitar player. And I said, how did you ever get that good? I mean, it was, you know, I didn't believe in aliens. And then I heard him play. Um, because he was just so advanced. And he said, you know, it's not really that difficult. It's simply mastering the basics. And I wrote that down because I thought that was one of the most insightful quotes, that expertise is nothing more than mastering the basics. And when it comes to biblical study, we should often look just to master the basics, And Paul desired that of them. And he saw that they were capable of it. Don't ever think that your reading of the word, the studying of the word is complete and there's nothing more to be found or to be discovered. There's always something waiting for you on each and every page of the scriptures. Old and New Testament alike. And Paul the apostle wanted to once again remind them it's interesting that one commentator, Dr. John Wolverd from Dallas Theological Seminary, he wrote this. He said, for the first time in this epistle, Paul wrote that he personally had taught them. He said this in order to emphasize the truth of his message, as he was the chief spokesman in Thessalonica. Paul did not regard prophetic truth as too deep or unimportant or controversial for new Christians to learn. He believed it was a vital part of the whole counsel of God, so he taught it without hesitation or apology. I love that because I believe that this is one of the key components to understanding the Bible, is understanding the return of Jesus Christ and the implications of it. And it doesn't end with just his physical return, which we believe in. It ends with a new heaven and a new earth. And that's really why we stated that the end is only the beginning. And it is one of the most glorious aspects of the Christian faith. And it's something that should be cherished by each and every one of us. Back in the 1980s, when I was young, I was actually 16 when I became a Christian And one of the things that moved me in my interest in Christianity, now, I had gone through Catholic catechism. The only reason I got through it is because my dad made a sizable donation to the church. Um, My mom and dad would send us to Sunday school with the neighbors on Sunday mornings to a beautiful little Wesleyan church in my neighborhood. And some of the most sweet godly people i met there and didn't realize the seeds that they were planting in my life and just the kind-heartedness and i remember the pastor who spoke there and his um, wonderful love that he had for people but when i was a teenager getting into some real trouble as many of you know i grew up and i was interested in music i grew up listening to heavy metal every single day every single minute every single hour and there was this band who came out with this album called the number of the beast and on the back of that album was a bible verse it was out of revelation chapter 13 talking about the number of the beast 666 So immediately I went and I found a Bible and I found that it was actually in there and I began to read in the book of Revelation and discover incredible things. I didn't understand one word of it, but I started discovering incredible things. And then I began to realize that the Bible promised a physical return to this earth of Jesus Christ. And I believe that propelled me into searching, into seeking even further, which eventually led to God saving me in his dynamic way. The study of the end times, I think, should always be a part of our conversation. But I wanted to take a moment this morning to look at what destabilized these people, causing them to forget, causing them to look at things through an emotional lens, rather than through a lens of objectivity, and then bring that into application today. Because I think this is important for us to know. They knew, Paul made it abundantly clear, that they knew this information. But yet, they believed that they were in the great day of the Lord. Why did they believe that? Well, they believed that because their circumstances, as we know from history, became very uh, troublesome. They were suffering. They were being persecuted for their faith. Their wealth was being taken from them. Their places of uh, prominence and position within the society were taken from them. They were imprisoned because as a Christian in Thessalonica, the one thing they could not do was bow the knee to Caesar Nero because the Roman Empire required that Caesar Nero be worshipped as a god. And as a result, there were temples built in various cities throughout Asia Minor for Caesar Nero and the worship of him. So when these Christians would not bow, They were then singled out and persecuted for their Christian faith. You can see how that can occur. But then on top of it, a false teaching came across their path through either a spoken word, a spirit, or a letter from Paul himself claiming that they had now entered into the great day of the Lord. So emotionalism moved them in their In their place of vulnerability, to no longer think rationally, collectively, and also objectively, to look at the culture in which they're in, to put a proper context around it, they then decided to be alarmed, shaken. It means having their legs swept out from underneath them, their circumstances. This false teaching had led to that position. Paul writes to them, let us remember. I believe this is very similar to what is happening in the United States of America currently today. Much of the debate and argument that we are having is a result of looking at things emotionally rather than looking at things objectively. Living now within what I call a post-truth era, have you noticed that it's become much more difficult to convince and to reason with people through logic and facts? You can show them data, you can show them facts, you can show them mathematical equations that prove your point, and still yet they are resistant to accepting it because they have been overwhelmed by the in some cases hysteria in other cases just pure emotionalism and because they are not grounded in history they have no objectivity to contextualize what they are currently going through and this is not uncommon to a society paul knew That if these Christians believed that they were in the great day of the Lord they could have greatly vacillated in their faith towards Jesus Christ. This is the detriment of false teaching. This is why we put such a heavy emphasis on teaching of the Word of God that you may be equipped to discover, see and avoid false teaching when it comes across your path. And of course I don't mean to imply in any way, shape or form that we are the only church teaching truth. And I don't mean to imply that Christians cannot differ on various interpretations of pa- passages and still be in fellowship with one another. But what I am saying is that we have an abundance of lies circulating around us, and unless we are grounded in the truth, we are going to be uprooted quickly. Now, why do you say that, Eric? Well, because I'd like to turn your attention to Judges chapter 2, if I may. Let's go back into the Old Testament for just a moment. In Judges chapter 2, there's a very unique and interesting passage that I think that we should consider in the light of Paul's desiring to remind his recipients of what they already know. I think that Judges chapter 2 verses 6 through 10 illustrate for us how important it is to remember those things that we know to be true. Now let's read this together. This is interesting. At least I feel it is. In chapter 2, verse 6 of Judges. Now when Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had all seen the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. Of course, this is Joshua who have led them now into the promised land. He has now made the statement, Choose this day in whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. And because he and the elders that were with him had seen all that God had done on their behalf, they continued in the manner in which God desired them to continue within. For they had experienced their history firsthand. They had seen and experienced the work of God's hand in their life through Joshua and those who were around him during this time. But verse 8 now tells us that Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mounts of Gosh. Verse 10 is the most troubling verse to me. And that generation, the generation of Joshua and the generation of his elders, that's what it's referring to, also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that He had done for Israel. And this launches us into the book of Judges. Now, if you're going to study the book of Dr- Judges, may I recommend that you take your dramamine before you do? You're like, "What are you talking about? Because it is like a roller coaster. They had a good judge and they're up here, then they had a bad judge. Then they had a good judge and then a bad judge and you can get seasick after a little while. But because they didn't realize and know their history, because they hadn't experienced God firsthand, because it had not been faithfully communicated from one generation down to the next as God prescribed it to be, they then became one of the most volatile nations on the earth because they had lost all understanding of their history and what god had done on their behalf and so they then had to create a new context for every circumstance that they went through from that time going forward rather than to realize that this was all part of the covenant promise that god gave to his people in deuteronomy 28 and 29 He made it abundantly clear what would happen. But because they had forgotten their history, because they didn't refresh themselves in the history of Israel. When Joshua took over for um, Moses, it was abundantly clear that he was anxious and fearful in doing so. So God repeatedly encouraged him, be of good strength and of courage, Joshua chapter 1. But there's a condition in Joshua chapter 1 also. That is, God says, you must do everything that is written in the book. The Bible, the law of God. And I will be with you. But they had lost their history. I believe that this is why we see people with various perspectives looking at statues throughout our history, throughout our land, some wanting to tear them down and some wanting to preserve them. Especially when it comes to the Emancipation Statue in the Washington, DC, one that was paid for by the money of freed slaves, and one that was commissioned and dedicated by Franklin Douglas himself, Frederick Douglass himself. But others today see this as racism. And those who defended the statue tried to share with the people of what that statue actually meant but to no avail. They weren't able to win them over. As we see a generation rising in America who doesn't understand our history, we're not a perfect nation, but we sure have been blessed in many ways. We no longer understand how precious our Constitution actually is. We don't understand the worldview that was written within each and every line of the Constitution. We don't understand what America was meant to be and what it was meant to provide for people who resided here and how it is supposed to be equally placed um, upon each and every life here and citizen here in America. See, we've quit teaching history, and as a result, we're doomed to repeat mistakes that are obvious to those who know history. You see, I bring this up because of what I see here in our text. The Thessalonians were shocked by their circumstances. They were dismayed by the false teaching, and therefore they lost their objectivity, and Paul had to write this letter to to study the ship, that he would remind them once again. I think we as Christians need to be reminded of who we are in Christ and who Christ actually is. Why do I say that? Well, because this week, a news commentator made a comment that stumbled many professing Christians in America. I didn't think it would, but it did uh, significantly. That commentator was on CNN. His name is Don Lemon. You may be familiar with him. And he made the, he made the comment that admittedly, Jesus Christ admitted that he was per, wasn't perfect. He made that comment. And he was sincere in it. And in the context of how he brought it forward, he was saying that if Jesus wasn't perfect, then why should we be so confident in the absolute truths in which we hold to? That's the, that's the uh, caveat in what he was saying. Because Jesus wasn't perfect, and if he's not perfect, we then therefore aren't perfect, and therefore we could be wrong. So let us be more open to other ideas. Wow, what a slippery slope that is. I think he was sincere i I can't judge the man's heart but i do know that he is absolutely wrong i've studied the bible from genesis to revelation there isn't one place in the scripture that jesus said that he was not perfect in fact not only he and his followers said that he was completely without sin Jesus said, I and my father are one, making him equal with God. Well, how do you know that that's what that means? Well, in John 10, the Jewish people took up stones because they said you've blasphemed because you make yourself equal with God. Well, I guess they understood what he said and what he meant by it. But a Christian not ground in the word of God would be maybe tempted in the current context of everything going on to believe, you know, well, if Jesus wasn't perfect, then who am I to you know, hold to absolute truths? And why am I so firm on these convictions? Maybe I should be a little bit more um, pliable and, and, and vacillating on these things. Well, isn't that the beginning of the end? You know, there's this one game that frustrates me more than any other game that can be played. It's a game called Jenga. It's always because I always end up with the stick that brings down the whole entire thing and they set me up you know, you know they make it abundantly clear that they do all their little things look <laughs> dad pull that one he's going to go down for sure folks if they can undermine the deity of jesus christ and cause individuals to vacillate and then be met by the crisis of the you know coronavirus and the rioting taking place in our society then they can lead them and guide them in any direction they want to go. See, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's my north star. He's my firm foundation. He's the one that keeps me grounded and steadied and secure in an insecure world. He's the one that not only is there, but loves and cares for me like no one other. And he one day will return. And we need to remember that all that we are seeing before us are birth pangs taking place, getting closer and closer as each contraction, as each pain grows in intensity and becomes closer together. Eventually, it's going to be uh, prevailed in the return of Jesus Christ. Now more than ever, we must understand our history, not only as a Christian This is why I believe the Old Testament is so valuable to Christians. It tells us our history as Christians. But we also must understand the history of the United States of America and what the intentions were so we can have reasonable discussion with people who disagree with us. Now, hopefully, they would be willing to have reasonable discussions. Today, we are living closer to the return of Christ than ever, ever before. Once again, let's turn back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things?